Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. I'm going to be reading from Luke 10, 25, verse 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is God's word. All right, can we hear now? All right, good. Well, like VJ said, my name is Lucas Cooper. I'm the lead pastor over at Bayview Glen Church. About two years ago, my wife and I uh, moved to Toronto. We pulled into Toronto on September 12th of 2013, and we moved from Scottsdale, Arizona. Has anybody ever been to Scottsdale, Arizona? Yeah, so just to tell you a little bit about Scottsdale, um, there are more plastic surgeons per capita in Scottsdale, Arizona than any city in the world. That ought to tell you a little bit about where we came from. And on Christmas Day, 2013, we took off from here in Toronto. It was minus 19 Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius. I don't care. It's cold. Um, and then we got to Phoenix, and we landed in Phoenix Sky Harbor, and it was 84 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, so over a 100-degree difference. So we got here in September of 2013, just in time for that winter. Do you guys remember that whole deal with the ice storm? Like most of this stuff, like wintertime stuff, I didn't even know existed. Like when somebody said, hey, have you got your snows yet? And I'm like, snows, what, is that? what does that mean? It was like, oh, you have to put new tires on in the wintertime because we live up in Stouffville. We get more snow up there, right? So you got to put new tires on in the wintertime or your car, you're gonna, your car won't stick to the road. I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why does anyone live here in the wintertime? It's just been unbelievable. So uh, we, hadn't canceled, we hadn't canceled church in over 70 years. Bayview Glen Church has been around for over 70 years until the ice storm of 2013. And uh, I remember just a couple of days before that Sunday, it was like December 21 or something like that. I drove down to the church just after the ice storm and there were kids ice skating on our parking lot. This is stuff that I that was just brand new to me being from Phoenix. And then about a year into our time here, my wife and I were privileged. Uh, it was a joy to complete our adoption process, which is a, a very long process for us. And we brought Kaya uh, Elizabeth Sincere Cooper into our family. She was born August 22nd 
of 2014. And so she did turn one year old yesterday and we gave her a smash cake. And uh, she, she wasn't really a fan of like uh, processed sugar because we pretty much like feed her pork and chicken. So she was asking, she was asking if anyone had any beef. So uh, listen, it really is a joy to come serve you today. I love VJ. VJ and I have become friends. I like hanging out with VJ um, because he's got salt and pepper hair, a little more pep or a little more salt than pepper these days, and so it makes me feel young. So I, I really am glad to. He, he came and preached at Bayview Glen in my absence just about a month ago, right? VJ, is that what it was? Just about a month ago, and uh, he made fun of me. I, we video that stuff. You know that, right? He did make fun of me to start his sermon. And he put, they put a video and put it online, and so I have a couple of more uh, things to get you back this morning. I just want you to know it's, it's coming. So, uh, listen, just a quick big idea for us this morning as we launch into the passage. Thank you so much. Emily, is that your name that read the passage? Thank you so much for doing that. It's awesome. And so our big idea this morning, if you're jotting down notes, is this, that God's mercy for us should fuel our mercy for others. And God's mercy for us, his, his undeserved favor, his grace, the ways that he has loved us when we didn't deserve it, didn't deserve it, just as VJ said a moment ago, his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love poured out onto us. He was under no compulsion to do that. He was not obligated to do that. No one forced his hand to do that. And he poured his mercy out onto us. And as he pours his mercy out onto us, that should overflow that compassion within us, that grace within us as an undeserved favor onto others. God's Mercy for us should fuel our mercy for others. We're going to talk a little bit about this passage uh, that some of you may be familiar with, with the Good Samaritan. And uh, uh, kids this morning, uh, both, both young kids and older kids, there are uh, papers over here on the side. It says, who is my neighbor on those papers? And you're welcome to go over there and pick up markers and to interact as we, as we talk through this passage this morning. But uh, Emily already read the passage. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I want to unpack it for us just a little bit here and fill in some of the gaps culturally and historically and linguistically so we can understand what exactly is going on here. Luke chapter 10 tells us that a lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks him a question in order to put him to the test. I want you to know that if you are an attorney at law, this is not that kind of lawyer. This is not someone who is defending someone in court. This is an expert in the Old Testament law. This is someone who knows all the stipulations, knows all the code of conduct. In fact, guys like him, probably a Pharisee, would have added over 700 more rules to what was already in the Old Testament. And he is an expert in the Old Testament law. And he comes to Jesus in order to put him to the test. And he asks him a question. The question he asks him is, teacher, how shall I? inherit eternal life? That's a critical question as we unpack the meaning of this passage and the implications for us this morning. How shall I inherit eternal life? Would you guys say that question with me? Because it's so important. Say it with me. How shall I inherit eternal life? One more time. How shall I inherit eternal life? All right, I think we got it, but a third time, because I'm going to ask you in a minute what the original question was, and we have to know what this is. Say it with me one more time. How shall I inherit eternal life? And so Jesus responds to this, uh, this legal expert, this expert in the Old Testament law, in a very a typical rabbinic fashion. This is how teachers of the law would talk to one another. Jesus responds to this man, and he says, well, how do you read the law? This would be a very typical question that rabbis and experts in the law would ask one another. 
And the man responds with what's called the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It comes from Leviticus 19. And here's what the Shema is. Every morning, the head of household in a Jewish home, in a Hebrew home in the Old Testament, every morning to start the day would step out to their door. And just before they were to come outside, they would step across the threshold outside of their home. And they would declare, not say, declare, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how the Jewish head of household would begin every single day in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says, well, how do you read the law? How do you interpret the law? This man responds with the Shema. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered rightly. Love the word in the original language. It's uh, important for us to know. It kind of might help us understand what Jesus is saying. It's you have answered orthos. It's where we get our word orthodoxy from. Jesus says you have answered correctly. And there's a little bit of a subtle implication here because Jesus is essentially saying your thinking is right. Your logic is right. Your head is in the right spot. But what's the implication? Maybe your heart's not quite there, right? Maybe you've not quite dialed in with it here. Maybe this 12 inches from head to heart is a little bit too far of a gap for you to bridge. And he says, you have answered rightly. And the lawyer seeking to justify himself says, who is my neighbor? Here's what the lawyer is asking Jesus. What's the minimum amount of stuff I got to do in order to ensure I'm going to inherit eternal life? What's the minimum I've got to do in order to get by, Jesus? Who is really my neighbor? Who do I really have to love? Who do I really have to show mercy and compassion towards? And Jesus launches into a great story. Jesus was a fantastic storyteller, by the way. Not just a good teacher, not just an example, not just the propitiation for our sins. I know it's a big $2 theological word. It's okay. Jesus was a great storyteller as well. And he begins his story this way. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you look at Old Testament geography and you look at kind of the way the Middle East was set up at the time, you might see that Jericho, you would see that Jericho is north of Jerusalem. This is a side note this morning. This is not, this is just free. This is a freebie. Anytime anyone tells you that the Bible has errors in it, and so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but Jericho is north of Jerusalem, so how could you go down to Jericho from Jerusalem? That doesn't really work. See, the Bible has errors in it. Just do your research. Do your research on topography. Here's the deal. Jerusalem is at about 2,500 feet above sea level. I'm going to translate it into kilometers here in a minute. Stick with me, okay? 2,500 feet above sea level, and Jericho is at 800 feet below sea level. So if you're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, you're going down. 3,300 feet, just over a kilometer, descending over a 30-kilometer journey. So let me just do that one more time. From Jerusalem to Jericho, that path is 30 kilometers long, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it descends down over a kilometer over the course of those 30 kilometers. That's quite a treacherous path. In fact, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as having a lot of nooks and crannies and caves and like little 
places where robbers could hide out. So it was a very, very dangerous place to be. And people would typically uh, travel in packs and travel in groups. They wouldn't travel alone. So it was a very unsafe place to be. So when Jesus begins his story this way, a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everyone would have thought, well, I know what's going to happen here. (laughs) We know what's about to happen to this man who's traveling on this very treacherous path from Jerusalem to Jericho. It would be like if I told you, you know what? Last night at 2 a.m., I was walking around Regent Park by myself, and you would not believe what happened to me. It's like, I bet we could. Something bad, right? Something bad happened to you, and something bad indeed happens to this man. He is uh, besieged by robbers, and he's beaten within an inch of his life, and he's stripped. And so uh, here, here's what we're going to do this morning. I, I want to act this story out with a couple of volunteers. Is that okay, kids? Could you guys help me out? We're going to act this story out with a couple of volunteers. So, so here's, what I, here's what I need. I need one volunteer to play the man who's going to get beaten within an inch of his life and stripped, all right? That's the, one, that's the first person I need. So kids, shoot your hand up. Who wants to play that guy? VJ, perfect. Come on up, VJ. Perfect, perfect. VJ, we're, we're going to beat VJ, uh, strip him, and, 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 and leave, him, leave him for dead. Perfect, thank you. Just stand here and get your affairs in order. Okay, and no, you don't get a mic for, for, for all kinds of reasons. You already had a mic at Bayview a month ago. Okay, kids, I need three robbers. Can you be three robbers? One, two, three, come on. No, is that your, is that your children? Oh, good, perfect, perfect, yeah. Perfect. So you guys are you you guys are going to be our robbers, and you're going to beat him and and leave him with and leave him on the side of the road for dead. Okay, just so you know, just stand by there. Now I need a priest. Who wants to play my priest? Come on, come on, and a Levite. Who wants to play my Levite? No, but oh, right there. Come on, come on, come on. All right. So so our. Our, our man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and three robbers, all right, so I need, I need sinister looks, all right, yes, do this, do this, yeah, that's perfect, do this. You are going to, on three, beat him. We don't have time for stripping him, okay, just beat him, and leave him for dead on the side of the road, okay, ready? One, two, three, go. 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 Yeah, get him, 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 get him. All right, so, so, all right, you're over. It's over. It's over. It's over. So now, all right, you guys are done. Let's give it up for our robbers. Thank you very much. I know, it is very clean. This will, this will teach you to mouth off at Bayview next time you preach. All right. You've been beaten, stripped, and leave, left for dead on the side of the road. And we have a priest walk by. Come over here. This is our priest. And he's about to walk by. What's your name? Finner Finnegan. Finner Finnegan? Yeah. Fin or Finnegan. I thought it was Finner Finnegan, which I got lost there. Finn. Okay. Finn. Finnegan. Finn, Finn, Finnegan. Finn. This is, this is our priest. And our priest walks by our man left for dead on the side of the road. But the interesting part about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is it wasn't a road like we picture roads today. You doing all right, Beach? Okay, bud. All right. 
So it wasn't a road like we picture roads today. We picture roads as very, very wide roads today. But this was not a wide road. This was a very narrow road. And so when our priest, Finn, passes by this man who's bleeding and stripped and been robbed and needs help, he doesn't pass by way on the other side of the road. In fact, when he passes by this man on this side of the road, now give me an aloof. That's what I want. Give, give me an aloof look. Perfect. All right. So... As you walk by this man, you don't walk by him way on the other side of the road. You could almost reach out and touch him if you wanted to. Almost reach out and touch him. But you, you deliberately walk on the other side of the road and you pay no attention to the man who needs your help and you keep going. Can you believe that? All right, priest, you're done. Finn, thank you, Finn. What's your name? Emma. Come on, Emma. So Emma... Uh, this typically is not what a Levite would look like. They would not have, actually, they would have had a little longer hair, so that's all right. Yeah, so we'll, we'll leave it there. You doing okay still? Good, perfect. Um, so Emma is going to play our Levite, and, and one of the questions that I have for the scripture is why would a priest and or a Levite, which we're about to watch our Levite, Emma, ignore this man and leave him as well? Why would they ignore him? Why wouldn't they lend aid? Why wouldn't they help? Well, both the priest and the Levite would have had uh, obligations at the temple. They would have had religious things that they needed to fulfill. And if they touched something dead, they would have had to go through a lot more ceremonial washings and cleansings in order to fulfill their duties at the temple. So if they're going from Jericho to Jerusalem in order to fulfill those duties, they don't want to touch a dead thing because it's going to cause them some inconvenience. And if they're going from Jerusalem back to Jericho after having fulfilled their duties, they don't want to touch a dead thing because they don't want to have to go back to Jerusalem and complete the ceremonial washings that they have to complete. So again, a Levite, another religious professional, walks by on the side of the road, our man needs help, and what do you do? You go, ah, all right, and roll your eyes, show everyone, show a big eye roll. All right, perfect, yes, very much, thank you, Emma, great job, and you're done. And then, and then I need a... (laughs) I'm not the good Samaritan. Actually, maybe I am. Um, now, we need, now we need a Samaritan. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, hurry up. Here's, here's the thing about Jews and Samaritans. If you've heard this story before, you might have heard that Jews and Samaritans hated one another, but I want you to know why. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel split up with 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south, the two tribes in the south stayed faithful to the covenant. They stayed faithful to God. They stayed faithful to what God would have them do. But the 10 tribes in the north did not. They ran away. They did their own thing. And they eventually got conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in and conquered those 10 tribes in the north. There's not a quiz afterwards, so don't panic, all right? So the Assyrians come in and conquered them. And the 10 tribes in the north, rather than fighting back and rather than staying true to the covenant, and stayed true to what God wanted them to do, they said, oh, come on in. And so they intermarried with these Assyrians and they, and they, uh, they, they, they kind of defiled the pure line that God had for them and they rejected the covenant. And then they established their own capital in the north. They didn't even want Jerusalem as their capital anymore where the temple was. They established their own capital in the north. It was a city called Samaria. 
So those two tribes in the south that stayed faithful to the covenant, they looked at the 10 tribes in the north and said, you're not even Jews anymore. You're not even faithful to the covenant anymore. You've totally ran away. You've totally rejected what God wants you to do. You've intermarried with the Assyrians. You've established your own capital. We're not gonna even call you Jews anymore. You don't even have, you're not even worthy to bear that name. We're gonna call you Samaritans. And so when Jesus tells this story and a priest walks by, uh, and then a Levite walks by and leaves the man for dead on the side of the road. Jesus, this third person, he says a third person walks by. And so everyone who's listening might have expected, oh, it's going to be a Jewish lay person. Or potentially it's going to be even the Messiah himself. And so when Jesus says a Samaritan walks by, everyone would have booed and hissed. They would have spat on the ground and said, no way a Samaritan, no way a Samaritan is the hero in this story. And so what's your name? Sarah. Sounds like Samaritan, doesn't it? Sarah the Samaritan. And so when I am playing Jesus here, <laughs> all right, when I'm playing Jesus here and I say to my audience, now a Samaritan walks by, we've got to boo and hiss Sarah, okay? That's what we're going to do. But not really, not really Sarah, Sarah the Samaritan. But hey, stand by because here in about two seconds, you're going to be the hero. You ready? All right. So when a Samaritan walks by, boo and hiss, boo, hiss. But the Samaritan, it says, walks by, and it says the Samaritan had compassion. And so the Samaritan, instead of walking by on the other side of the road, used his, or in this case, her own oil to bind up wounds and own bandages to bind up this man's wounds. And she picks him up and puts him on her own animal. So you got to pick him up. There you go. But no one told you to stand up. Yeah, all right. All right. Sorry. So Sarah the Samaritan takes our man that's beaten on the side of the road, puts him on her own animal, takes him to an inn, and pays three months room and board. That's two denarii in advance and says, keep him, take care of him, and if I owe you anything else, I'll pay the rest when I come back. Would you guys thank our Samaritan and our man that's beaten and left for dead and laying on a theater floor? It's interesting at the end of the passage when Jesus asks, now which of these showed mercy? Which of these showed mercy? So it's a very, very easy question. Which of these was a good neighbor? Which of them showed grace? Which of them showed mercy? I'm going to ask you that question of the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Everyone answer together, which of the three showed mercy? One, two, three. The Samaritan, it's a very, very easy question, but you know the lawyer doesn't answer that way. He says, which of these was a good neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy. You know why? Because he can't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. It feels like poison in his mouth. He won't even spit it out. And Jesus tells this lawyer, this is brilliant, right? You go and be like that Samaritan. You go and do likewise. And you could imagine this expert in the law going, he got me. And he runs away. So here's our commandment from the scripture, from the story of the Good Samaritan, was just acted out so beautifully. Vijay, for your first time, bud, you played a great beaten, stripped, and left for dead on the side of the road guy, okay? So, so here's the commandment from the scripture. You go and do likewise. You and I are commanded to show compassion like the Samaritan showed compassion, to show mercy and grace, to pour out favor and love onto people like the Samaritan showed 
compassion and love to this man. And I've got four things I want to tell you about what mercy looks like and what compassion looks like and what grace looks like in our day-to-day life poured out onto other people from the text. And if you're taking notes, jot these down. The first thing we know about mercy, the first implication we know about a life of grace and compassion for others is this, is that mercy begins at the cross. Mercy begins at the cross. If you're a note taker, jot that down, that mercy begins at the cross. Remember the question we had a minute ago? Remember the thing we all repeated together? What was the question? What shall I do to inherit eternal life, right? So this is not a question. When this lawyer comes to Jesus, he doesn't say, what kind of life should I be living? How moral should I be? Can you give me some instruction about how I might serve other people? He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is not a question about living a great life. This is a question about inheriting eternity on the other side of life. And so what Jesus wants us to know in telling this story is that anything that we do here in this life in terms of mercy and compassion, in terms of even morality, in terms of living up to God's standard, begins with God's mercy to us. In a lot of ways, Jesus wants us to see him as the Samaritan and to see ourselves as the man who was broken and beaten on the side of the road and in need of something, in need of grace, in need of concern, in need of help, in need of compassion. Mercy in our lives begins at the cross. And this is critical for us to understand because here's the deal. No matter how merciful you might be to others, no matter how much compassion you might show, no matter how good a person you might be to other people, you will never live up to God's mercy for you. And that sounds like really bad news, but it's actually really great news. Because just as uh, Vijay said before, that Peter's uh, denial of Jesus and that never stopping, never giving up love that he thought he had for Jesus fell apart. And all our love for Jesus, our love for God, our devotion for him falls apart all the time. But for Jesus, this is not a question of what do you need to do in order to earn my grace? This is a question of I went to the cross for you. I took the penalty for you. I came to earth for you such that I can pour favor out onto you. And so you can overflow in mercy and compassion for others. That's why our big idea this morning is not be compassionate or be merciful or be gracious towards others. Our big idea for this morning is God's compassion for us. The fact that he's given us eternal life, the fact that he's poured grace out onto us, should overflow in grace and mercy for others. Number two, mercy is empathetic. Mercy is empathetic. I want you to know real quickly, just from Webster's Dictionary, that sympathy is the stimulation in a person of feelings that are similar in kind to those that affect another person. It's more general and can apply to small annoyances or setbacks. So sympathy is just, yeah, I've got that in common with you. I've been there before. I feel sorry for you. I feel something for you. But listen to what empathy is. Empathy denotes a deep emotional understanding of another's feelings or problems. 
empathy means a mental or affective projection into the feelings or state of mind of another. Look at what the text says in verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That word compassion means a deep, visceral, even physical reaction to someone else in need. He had compassion. He felt it in his gut. He felt it in his bones. This wasn't a man, a Samaritan, who walks by this man and says, you know what? I feel bad for him. He actually put himself in his shoes. He saw the world from his eyes, and it moved him to show compassion for this man. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was uh, pastoring in Phoenix, I remember being in a service a lot like this, and, and the preacher was on video in this, in this service. The preacher was on video, and there was a kid behind me who was acting up. He was talking the whole time, and his mom wouldn't control him, and he's talking and moving and, and, and you know, bouncing around and doing whatever else, and I'm going, man, could you just quiet your kid down? I'm trying to pay attention to this sermon on you know, grace or something. I don't know what it was, right? So and I'm trying to get, I'm trying to think, could you just quiet your kid down? So finally, I take it upon myself to get up and go one row back and say, hey, can I help you with anything? Did you know we had a children's ministry with a take care of your kids, which essentially is code language for shut your kid up, right? And she goes, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm fine. Thank you. Which is essentially code language for he's just going to keep acting this way, right? So because I didn't want to distract other people, I went in the back of the service and I stood in the back and I kind of fumed a little bit. Like, why would you let your kid act up during the service? It's distracting everybody. And so I watched this kid as he's acting up. He walks back to me and he's never seen me before in his life and I've never seen him before in my life. He's maybe three years old, four years old. And he walks slowly back to me. He walks over to me and he reaches his arms up for me to pick him up. And I thought, well, that's a little odd. I don't know this kid. Doesn't she teach him stranger danger? Clearly not a bad, no, this is a bad parenting. So I picked, I picked this kid up because he asked me to, and he wraps his arm around my neck and, and lays his head on my shoulder. And I think, well, that's a little odd, isn't it? That's a little odd. So mom gets up and walks back, and she says, look, I'm really sorry my kid's acting up, but his dad is an addict, and about every six months, he shows back up at our house. His dad shows back up at our house. So his dad was at our house for about six hours last night and left early this morning to go back out and do drugs and whatever else he does. And so my, my kid is a little bit rattled and just probably needs a little bit of extra grace and, and love from a male this morning. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm just like the priest and the Levite. I had religious obligations that I needed to fulfill, right? I had little things I needed to do, and I didn't want to show compassion to somebody else. Uh, men and women of God, it's clear and it's important and it's critical for us to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to see the world from their eyes, not just to feel sympathy, but to feel empathy, to see the world from their eyes. Everybody you come in contact with has some kind of brokenness going on, has some sort of something going on in their life that might cause them to behave that way, that awkward coworker that's difficult to talk to, that kid at the lunchroom that nobody wants to sit with. God loves them very much, and they've got brokenness going on, and, and we have to put ourselves in their shoes to see the world from their eyes. I'm going to skip to my last point here, and then we'll be done. It's, i got three minutes. 
Mercy is impartial. That's, uh, that's point number three. Just go back and read the fact that a Samaritan is the hero in the story. Mercy uh, shows itself to anyone and everyone in our life. We live in the most multi-ethnic city in the world. We have an opportunity to show impartial mercy. But I want to hit this last one real quick. Mercy is actively sacrificial. Mercy is actively sacrificial. I want you to look up here on the screen and see all the things that the Samaritan gave up in order to pour grace out onto uh, this man who was beaten on the side of the road. Look, he went to him. That means he sacrificed his own journey, right? He's going somewhere. And he potentially even sacrificed his own safety because remember, he's on that same treacherous road. And he went to him. He made a sacrifice there. He bound up his wounds, likely tore his own clothing in order to bind up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. This man has already been robbed of all his stuff. The Samaritan used his own oil and wine to do so. He put him on his own animal. That means he's what? Walking. He gave two denarii, that's three months wages. And then he says, I will repay you everything else you need when he comes back. Mercy is actively sacrificial. Mercy gives up. Mercy releases. Mercy is generous. Mercy says, I don't have, uh, I don't have the right to hold on to these things that God has entrusted me with. He has given them to me such that I can sacrifice them for the sake of another person. Why? Because our ultimate example is Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When all things were put under his feet and all things were given into his hand, he let all of that go. He sacrificed all that for your sake and for mine and poured grace out onto us. And so that grace uh, that he's poured out onto us ought to overflow, that mercy ought to overflow in mercy for others. I want to put our four points back up here one more time just so we can take a look because here's my question for you this morning. Who is God calling you to be merciful toward? Who is God calling you to pour out grace onto? Who is God calling you to be empathetic toward, to see the world from their eyes, to put yourself in their shoes, to to feel their brokenness, and to understand where they're at? Who is God calling you to be merciful towards, even if they're different from you, even if you're supposed to not get along with them, even if you're kind of supposed to hate them like Jews and Samaritans were supposed to hate one another. Who is God calling you to pour out impartial mercy onto? And who is God calling you to sacrifice for actively, to give something up for the sake of another such that they might experience the mercy that God has poured out onto you? As our worship team comes back up to lead us in one more song as we close this morning, I would invite you to pray with me. God, it's our joy this morning to declare this, that our mercy towards others is fueled by your mercy for us. When we didn't deserve it, while we were yet sinners, when we were far from you, Jesus, like the Samaritan, went to the man on the side of the road that was broken and battered and left for dead. We were once broken and battered and left for dead, spiritually speaking. We were poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. We had nothing to bring to you, and yet you, because of your grace and mercy, because of the favor that we didn't deserve, 
poured your life out, poured your grace out onto us. And God, it's our prayer this morning that our, uh, that grace that you poured out into our hearts and lives would overflow to, toward others, that we would empathize, that we would see the world from their shoes, that we would sacrifice, God, that we would sacrifice for somebody who's different from us, that we maybe aren't supposed, not a spouse, not a, not a child, not a friend, but somebody who's very, very different, comes from a different life stage, maybe just different ethnicity, different sexuality, different background, different everything from us that we would sacrifice for them so that they might experience the grace and love of a God who never gives up and never fails and has poured grace out onto us. God, today may your mercy that you've poured out onto us into our hearts overflow into mercy for others. In Christ's name, amen. Be merciful to somebody this week. Show somebody compassion. Show somebody active sacrifice, active grace. Get yourself in somebody else's shoes and watch it change a life, all right? Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye, you guys.